Thank you, Devin. As we've planned uh, kind of the contemporary concert this past weekend, we've also talked to, to Devin about planning another uh, sacred concert later on in the year, and so we'll have our own uh, uh, concert that way as well. Are you clapping because that was my idea or because Devin was going to do it? No. Probably wasn't even my idea. No. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it was Jeannie, and I go, yeah, that's a great idea. So, uh, so we'll look forward to that in the future. Well, this morning we begin our new series in uh, the book of Genesis as we look at the book of beginnings. And I had an opportunity to preach this uh, once already and didn't have enough time, so I'm sure I won't have enough time in this service as well. And I, I spoke rather rapidly in the first service, and I'm going to speak even faster in this service because you guys can take it. No. Um, and I'm going to add to the outline. You've already looked at the outline. You know, because we're not having our life groups this week, I can speak twice as long because you're not going to study, what, study it afterwards, right? Well, you know, last week was an important Sunday on the calendar. It was what Sunday? Easter, Easter Sunday. And so as we looked at Easter Sunday last Lord's Day, it was significant in that we tried, uh, almost by uh, accident, uh, after our series on the best sermon ever, which was the Sermon on the Mount, is that really, in many ways, we looked at the best Easter message ever because we looked at the, the message Jesus preached after Easter. Probably on that same Sunday, Christmas, yeah, Christmas morning, Easter morning, Jesus encountered a couple people on the road of Emmaus and really preached to them an Easter message. And in it, we looked at that Jesus spoke about the why of Easter, and the why of Easter is that we are called to repent and believe because of Easter. And then he made reference to the Old Testament, which was the longer part of his message that we don't really have, which is the who of Easter is spelled out in the Old Testament. And he chided them as being foolish and slow of heart because they did not understand all that the prophets, Moses and the Psalms and the other prophets had written about that one who was promised to come. And if you were hit with us last Lord's Day, if we really took, take that literally, since there are 39 books in the Old Testament, I really should have given you 39 points on the Old Testament related to what the Old Testament said about Jesus, and I only gave you 10. And I know that you were disappointed, so I thought I'd give you the 39 this morning. In rapid session, ra rapid fashion. You don't have to take notes. I'm just going to throw it out to you. And by the way, we won't be having the sermon notes on the outline, but I will try to be slow at the point of filling in the blank. But I want to just give you a quick, quick, rapid speech, just statement about how Jesus is portrayed in the Old Testament. And I give it in rapid fashion just to say, oh, you know, just kind of an appreciation. And we're only looking at the tip of the iceberg of how we could see Jesus in the Old Testament. But here we go. Through the whole 39 books of the Old Testament. Jesus in the Old Testament. In Genesis. He's the creator. He's the defeater of Satan. And he's the ark, the lifeboat of salvation. In the book of Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the high priest. In Numbers, the guiding cloud and fire. In Deuteronomy, the, pro the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, the judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, I had mercy on you because they're parallel books. They are the, he is the reigning king and prophet of the Lord. 
In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the wall. In Esther, the one like Mordecai. In Job, the day spring from on high. In Psalms, the Lord who is our shepherd, as well as the crucified one. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisdom of God. In Song of Solomon, the lover and bridegroom. In Isaiah, the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, and Lamentations, the weeping prophet. In Daniel, the son of man coming in the clouds. In Hosea, the bridegroom. In Joel, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, the burden bearer, and Obadiah, the mighty savior, and Jonah, the forgiving God, and Micah, the messenger with beautiful feet, and Nahum, the avenger of God's elect, and Habakkuk, the great evangelist, crying for revival, and Zephaniah, the restorer of the remnant, and Haggai, the cleansing fountain, and Zechariah, the pierced son, and Malachi, the son of righteousness. And Jesus, on that first Easter morning, or afternoon, we're not sure exactly when he caught him on the road to Emmaus, is that he wanted them to understand that if they were to understand what happened three days before when he was on the cross and the significance of the empty tomb, they needed not only know the why, how should they respond to believe and repent, but they needed to be convinced who he was. He is all that and much, much what? More. Now, what we want to do beginning today is begin at the beginning. And... Francis Shaver, who was kind of the um, cool believer leader of the young adult college crowd in the 70s, uh, said this about talking with someone about Jesus. If the book of the Bible, the Bible, which is the book, is about Jesus, he, he said this, if I was trying to convince someone that Jesus was their sa- should be their Savior and Lord, I would spend 55 minutes speaking about what the, the book of Genesis is all about, before I would spend five minutes talking to him about what the Gospel of John is about, which is speaking about who, what Jesus has done. Now, I'm not sure I would put in that exact percentages or, or how I would begin a presentation, but what he says has a lot of profound implications. If we really don't believe that Jesus is the Creator God, there is a Creator God, then What's, what's so important about Jesus? If, if all that we see in life just kind of happen, and then all of a sudden there was a story that's a beautiful story about Christmas and Easter and someone coming to earth and, and was more significant than just simply a baby in the cradle and then someone went to the cross and more than some, some peasant that went to, to a crucif- crucifixion, a capital punishment experience. Um, that's a beautiful story, but if there, is, there isn't a creator God, then what are we believing in? And so what I want to do this morning is talk about God's story. I want to look at God in terms of the kind of the, the line of thought in terms of the story being presented. And then I want to look at the starting point, And then I want to end, Lord willing, with, again, the implication of that starting point and how that ought to respond, how, what kind of response that ought to be evoked from us. Well, what's, what's God's story? And you can present this in different ways. I've done it in different ways as, as I've presented kind of the big picture. But if you took God's story, you could take it like any other familiar book, or at least some books. Some books, you know, it's just the book. But some books will have a prologue, then you have the big narrative, and then you have an epilogue. You have the beginning, and then you have the story itself, the narrative, and then you have what happened afterwards. Well, if you were to take the Bible that way, you could, you could kind of put the Bible in this kind of panoramic view. The prologue is the book of Genesis. And if you've ever been involved in a mystery or a movie or anything like that, and, and somehow you weren't getting it, and the reason you didn't get it because you didn't get the beginning. 
If you miss the front part of something, sometimes nothing else makes sense. Where is this going? Who are all these people and why are they there? Weren't you listening in the beginning of this? Weren't you reading carefully? It, it, It all began here. And so the prologue in God's story is crucial. Then you can understand that whole narrative. And, and really, the prologue is the book of Genesis, and then the narrative is Exodus through Jews. That's where you get the whole storyline of history. And then the, the, the ending, the book of Revelation, tells us the final chapter and what goes on forever. Another way to look at it, and this was somewhat asked on Wednesday in a, in a, a Bible study that we were leading Wednesday in the Word, and it was, well, why, did, why did God start all this off? And why did he allow kind of Satan to con- continue to exist after he fell from heaven and all that kind of stuff? Well, I'm not going to re-teach that for those who are on Wednesday, but I, it, is, it is an understanding, again, the big picture. The big picture of this book is it's all about God, and it's all about God's glory, it's all about God's rule or his kingdom, and it's all about God's plan or salvation or redemption. And, and to look at it that way, you can, again, divide the Bible not in simple thirds, but in three parts. First of all, as you think about God revealing himself, and really that's what God's glory is. God's glory is a manifestation of just who he is. When something is a a great work of art, it is by definition a great work of art. You don't need to have critics come in and say, well, I think that person has a lot of talent, whatever. If If it's great, it's almost you don't even have to describe it. It's just... It's just great like a piece of music if, it, if it, a piece of music has substance it will last and it has intrinsic beauty and as we think about god and that's the glory of the music or that's the glory of the picture or if you see a sunset if you don't think that sunset is beautiful and everyone else around you is saying it's a beautiful sunset the problem is not in the sunset the problem is in who you okay and, and so as we think about god's glory it's just it's just a manifestation of who he is and what we have in terms of that being conveyed to us, it, 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 it's conveyed in, in God's record. And, it, and you could put it this way. It's God's glory being revealed. And that's Genesis chapter 1. And then you have God's glory being rejected. So chapters 1 and chapter 2, you'd have His glory revealed. And then chapter 3, you have His glory rejected. And that's when sin came into this world. And then the rest of the book is the story of God's glory being restored. And you can say the same thing in terms of God's kingdom, a rule, or God's plan. Um, It's revealed, it's rejected, and it's restored. So that's the whole Bible in simple terms. And it's good sometimes to get a big picture, so then when you look at the individual parts, you have a bigger or better understanding of what it's all about. At least that helps me. Well, this morning we want to begin our series by looking at the starting point. And the starting point begins at the very first verse of the very first book of God's record. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. As as you're turning there, uh, uh, not only did we have a concert yesterday, but we also had a group of people that that helped out at the Great Park in Irvine, and there was a a 5K race there and some other booths and things like that, and some of us got up really early and and helped... uh, one of our newest members put on a big event and got to meet some people and wear our Grace Hills t-shirts. And, and some, someone asked me right before this service starts, well, how, how did you do running the 5K? And I was hoping no one would ask me that question. Um, but 
we had uh, three or four of our people actually running it. There were a number of other people who were there, and, and John Aldridge, he ran. He ran really well. He was in the front pack of the people who ran. And then we had another uh, newer um, uh, lady in our church, um, Allegra, who sang last Sunday. Remember Allegra singing in the, in the service? And she, she had a PR, and for those who are in the running world, a PR stands for personal record. That was the fastest she'd ever run, ran a, P, uh, a 5K. And then we had me. And, I, and uh, I, I got a call from my mom later on in the, in the day, and she was asking about some things. She said, well, how'd you do in the race? Have you ever had an experience where you wish people hadn't asked you a question? <laughs> if there's ever been a time I wish I could just lied, you know, on the phone, that was one of the times. Because, see, my, my mom's used to hearing about how my son runs in a race, and he always does really well. He was all CIF, and he's got a track and cross-country scholarship, and he's, he's qualified for the national um, NAI national marathon uh, championship this this year, and so she, she gets to hear good reports when he runs. So I was trying to think how how can I how can I say this? So I said, well, I did all right. I finished. He said, well, yeah, but how'd you do? <laughs> well, I had uh, two people pushing strollers that passed me. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, I finished it. But as you think about you know you know even a 5K race, you, you start the race. But, but particularly when you're not in the shape you want to be, and at whatever rate you're running, you're, you're, you're out of breath, you know, it's, it, it's, it's easier to run when you can run at a pace where you can carry on a conversation. Well, I started out with John at the same pace he did, and it was real soon before I couldn't talk, all right? And so he went ahead of me. And so you're just out of breath, and as you began the race, all you can anticipate is the, the finish. But you can never finish a race until you start. And whatever race, you know, pace you go on, you know, it's, it's part of being in the story or in the game. And, and so as we really want to understand God's plan for us or understand what it means for God to rule or, or live lives that give Him glory, we, we better get up to the starting light and understand how it all began. Well, it's kind of summarized in that very first verse that most of us are pretty familiar with. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you look at that, really what that verse does is give us kind of a, an outline of important things for us to, to recognize at the start. When you study anything, in any discipline, any subject matter, and even particularly as it relates to the Bible, you really can you, you begin to understand the Bible when you ask questions of the Bible. Now, when you think about asking questions, there are only certain kind of questions you can ask. There's only really six questions you can ask of anything that you read, and that's who, what, when, where, why, and how. And, and so in that, in that very first verse, we have questions we can ask of that passage, and then God gives us the answer. Well, let's look at those six uh, questions. First of all, the when. When did it all start? It all started in the beginning. You are a very sharp group, all right? Much sharper than the first service. Don't tell them that. Actually, I'm speaking a lot slower. They probably didn't understand or hear a thing I said, all right? It, it all started in the beginning. I'm really a profound preacher, all right? Now, wh when you think about that, however, you need to think a little bit about God's answer. Okay, what does that mean? Well, this is my explanation of that. Before the beginning, God was and nothing else was. So as we think about in the beginning, we need to understand there must have been something before the beginning. 
And so when we say in the beginning, we're, we're talking about the start of who we are. In fact, that's that next statement in your outline. At the beginning, God was, and then everything else began. So if you, if you draw a line here at the point in which we see everything that we see and what has ever been said down throughout history, there was a point in time when what we see once wasn't there. Okay? And, and so as we think about well, what's, what was there before that which we see now is, and the answer to that is who? God. God was before the beginning. So there was a, there was a a point in which God was, nothing else was. And then at that point, in the beginning, then everything else began. And, and that's what we're looking at. And, and we're going to see this a little bit more later. But basically, there's only two options in terms of understanding origins. Okay? Either there is someone called God, a... a supreme being that has always been and always will be, and he is eternal, or matter or material has always been and always will be, and it's eternal. And as we think about that, there's really only two options. Either there was a supreme being that got it all started, or material has always, or matter has always been. Now, what I'm going to submit to you, that, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and really, as we think about that, uh, one of the reasons we're going to be going through this series is not only kind of explain to you how God explains origins, but also we're going to be going progressively, building, putting some building blocks on why we ought to believe what God's Word says is true, even though we are in opposition to the vast majority of people in this world who write textbooks, particularly science textbooks. Why do I believe this? Best explanation for how it all began. Origins is what the Bible says, that before the beginning, God was, and then everything else began after that beginning, rather than saying matter or material has always been. Now, Carl Sagan, who was the kind of the, the poster child for the evolutionary movement and, and had a lot of films come out and stuff like this, this is what he said. Here's his Genesis 1-1 in the book that he would write. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. So he sees the universe as just simply existing forever. The Bible does not say that. It's all about in the beginning, there was a God before our beginning. Well, that's the when. Well, what's, the, what's the who? And that's implied there. The who is God. This is a story about God. And, and that fourth word in that text, God, it's the word Elohim in the Hebrew, which is a plural noun, which has the plural, it, it can be both, have a plurality emphasis or a singularity perspective on it. And, and really, it's, it's, a, it's a noun of, of majesty, unity, and plurality in which God is, is singular, but within the singular essence of God, there are three persons, as we find out later in Revelation. So we, as we think about the universe from a biblical perspective, it begins at a beginning, and it begins with God. Well, then, what's the how of how it all began? The how is God created. Now, this is the word bara in the Hebrew, and it really means to bring into, into existence out of nothing. Now, the significance of this word bara is that it is only used of God in the Old Testament. 
is never used of, of humans. Now, in this text, you'll find out that the, the, in the creative story, in Genesis chapter 1, we're only going to look at the first day today. But in this story of creation is that the word uh, create and the word make is used. And there's a difference between creating something and making something. Now, sometimes we confuse that word when we converse with people. If, if, uh, since I don't spend a lot of time cooking, all right, and say, Alice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook for you a meal, you know, this, I'm going to cook dinner tonight. And I, I say, I'm going to go into the kitchen and I'm going to create something. Now, first of all, that would be a disaster, right, for a lot of reasons. But it, it, let's assume I could create, some, I, I was able to provide a meal for us to sit down and eat. Would I really be creating something? No, I would simply be making something. I would, I would take whatever food items that were there and try to put them in some kind of mixture and put them together, and hopefully it would be edible. And so as we think about it, what God brought into existence, he brought into existence that, was nothing, that there was nothing there until he performed and, and did what he did, which is create. In fact, the alternative is this. Nobody times nothing equals everything. And as we look, and we'll be looking at this later on, as we look at design and complexity within our world, I mean, how, it is so mind-boggling that people would think that which has so much complexity and so much intelligent design would think that it all happened by chance over an eon of years. I wish my garage worked that way, all right? We finally started after being here eight years. We've got to get stuff. We've got to get rid of stuff in our garage. You know, we got four kids, we got all their stuff, and we got all of our stuff that used to be in a bigger garage. And, and you know what I would hope? I wish it would just clean up by itself, all right? Just, why can't you put all this chaos and put it into a uniform way? It doesn't happen that way in life, and it didn't happen when it all began either. Otherwise, you've got nobody times nothing equals everything. Hebrews 11, 3 says, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So we've looked at the, the when, the who, the how. How about the what? What did he create to begin with? In verse 2 it says this. Um, well, in verse 1 it says, he created the heavens and the earth. And so what we have here is that at the very beginning, what he, what he put into existence was uh, space, that's the heavens, mass, which is the earth, and we could also throw in here as well, time. Time began at that point of beginning in which God started all in motion, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Interesting enough, that word heaven is also plural now. It can be, some of your Bibles will translate it heaven, and some will translate heavens. It can be translated either way. By the way, uh, I, I believe that either the angelic world, which is that which cannot be seen by our eyes, was either created on this day, on the very first day of creation, or was created on the sixth day, and we'll be looking at that in days to come. So the, the when, the who, the how, the what, how about the where? Where was the focus of God at creation? And as you read this text, it's very simple. The focus of God's creation was the earth. He gives explanation toward that. And the reason I throw this in, again, this is just simple observations of the Bible, is that as we look at people now that are fascinated with our universe, they, they want to explore everything out there. And, and they're all looking for some kind of life on another planet. And, and we have 
things that detect sound going everywhere, trying to hear if we're getting any messages from space that, that give any indication of intelligent life. And so far, we've heard nothing. And as we've done investigation on various planets, we have no foolproof um, establishment of any intelligent life or any life really on a planet that has um, any significance. And so as we think about all this vast universe, the focus was here on Earth. And we'll look at how special the Earth is. But in the beginning, the Earth, verse 2, was without form and void. Now what that means is that the earth, not that it was defective in any ways, but it was simply not complete. That it was, it was not completed, and that's why the other days of creation come to pass, and it was not inhabited. And, and so, as, as we look at the six days of creation, we're going to see how God took that which was nothing, brought it into existence, and then began to form it into what we see it today. There was one other thing that got established on that day. Uh, and, and we have the whole triune God involved in this as we look at other passages of Scripture. But it says, In the Spirit, uh, uh, darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And, and God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And I said, Well, well how, how did that happen? Because we find out later, it's not the fourth day, I believe it is, where he, he puts the stars in the, in the sky as well as the, the light bearer to govern the day and the light bearer to govern the, the, the night, the, the sun and the moon. Well, how, how can there be light if there's no stars in heaven? Well, again, who are we talking about? Who's the who of the starting point? The who is God. He created everything with simp- a simple word. Do we think in our... Uh, in our wildest imagination that God c- could create light without having a sun and a moon? Of course he could. He, he could establish the light waves. I mean, have you ever done some study in light? I mean, they don't, even, they don't even know how to explain light. They call it particles and they call it waves. And what, Which is it? Is it, is it part? And they say both. Well, how can it be both a particle and a wave? Because it's, it's kind of an amazing energy force. We know in John 1.5 it says that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all so by whatever means he established light light energy that passed through the heavens and space that took that which was fully dark and brought light to separate that which was going to be light during the day and dark during the night now if he put a light source out then probably what did he do on that first day of creation when he created the focus of his creation was was the earth he probably did what with the earth he began to rotate it, okay? So that's what became morning, and that's what became evening. So in the very beginning, God just very simply said, hey, I want you to understand, there is a, a when, and it's in the beginning. There is a who. If, you, if this is going to be hard to believe, this who is God, the supreme, all-powerful being in the universe that predates anything that you see. There's a how, a creation. God took that which was nothing and made it into something. There is a what. The what is he created everything that we see today, the heavens and the earth. He began simply where the focus was on earth. The earth was uninhabited and incomplete. It was filled with darkness. He created a light beam that was going to separate the day and the night. And how he did that was he, he put a light beam going on and he rotated the earth and there was light 
and there was darkness. There was evening, and there was morning. Now, as we look at that, that's the scenario that God gives us here. We ask ourselves a question, well, again, well, how about why? why? Why did he do this? Now, this is not in the text, but in this particular text. But again, this gets back to God's story. You know, God's story has a prologue, a narrative, and an epilogue. But another way to look at it, God has a story in which we see it's all about his glory. His glory is revealed, his glory is rejected, and his glory is restored. So as we think about this, the reason God brought this all into existence not be, was not because God was lonely. It wasn't because he needed people to love him. Now, he wanted people to relate to, and he created us in his image, but the reason he created all that we see was to manifest his character, his nature, who he is, and that we would recognize uh, the power and glory and beauty of who he is. And if, if we don't understand that, it's not the problem with him, it's the problem with us. And this is the record throughout the scripture. We are, like everything else in this universe, we're made for the purpose of expressing the nature and character of God who brought us in to existence. Let's just read through some of the portions in scripture. Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And if you want to know the fill in the blank, it's why? To reveal his glory and for worship. See, even inanimate objects, like the, the things that are in the heavens, declare the glory of God, and the space is handiwork. Why? To exp- manifest who he is. He's all-powerful and he's almighty. Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's why we're here. I was telling the story, probably not very well in the first service, but you ever uh, watched a professional football game? And, and over recent years, they had to enact some rules and regulations among its players because when players were scoring touchdowns, they were just going crazy in the end zone. I mean, they, they call them um, celebrations of, of, a, of a score. And they came up with a term that, that if a player had an excessive expression of celebration, they would penalize the team that had just scored, and you'd have to kick off uh, farther up, okay, and so you, no, farther back, okay, so it would give a great advantage to the team receiving the kickoff. And you're thinking, well, man, they scored. Well, what they want to communicate to the player that you are, you have scored. But the celebration of the touchdown is not for the player, it's for the people in the stands. And all the games I've, I've watched, and I've watched quite a few games where I've seen players being thrown a flag for excessive celebration of a touchdown, but I've never seen people in the stands ever being thrown a, a flag for excessive expressions in the stands for cheering for your team scoring. See, we're the people in the stands. We recognize our team has scored, and so we just naturally cheer for that which was done well. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. And then the next phrase says, It is He who has made us. See, if we don't get that part, that it's all about God making us, then everything else in the Bible really doesn't make sense. I mean, okay, Jesus is a fascinating narrative, but... If there isn't a creator God, why would we worship him? Uh, Why why do we have a hope for the future if there isn't a creator God that everything that we see in this 
this universe happened by chance. It, 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 it's senseless. We worship because he has made us. Uh, Nehemiah 9.6 talks about the angelic host. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts. And that's probably the angelic realm. The earth and everything in it. There's nothing that, that came into existence on its own. The seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven does what? Worships you. Why are we here? Why is everything in this world? To give glory to God and to worship Him. Isaiah 43, 21. This people I have formed for myself, that they shall declare my praise. And Warren always gets me to say this is for free. But as we think about worship, worship is, is much more than music. Now, music is an expression of worship. But it's not like we, we slice up the service, okay, this part's worship, this part's preaching, this part's prayer, and this part's worship, this part's, you know, giving the offering, and this part's worship. Everything is worship. When we give, we're either worshiping God or we're not worshiping God. When we're praying, we're either worshiping God, realizing who we're talking to, or we're not worshiping God. Everything is worship. Now, music probably is the best expression of praise or an expression of worship, but everything is an expression of worship or not. And I, I've been in all kinds of settings with all forms of music, and sometimes people are worshiping the music and not the God of music. Would we all agree with that? And so there's, God has given us the blessing of music, but it's all about what's in the heart. And particularly for the believer, it's, it's what the words are that will express the greatness of the worship. For those of us to participate, I think music in itself can, can be an expression of praise, but even more so it's the words that express the praise of God. And really, everybody was without excuse. Romans 1, 20, 21 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful because being futile in their thoughts, their foolish hearts were darkened. See, the creation is that avenue by which we initially recognize that God is worthy of worship. And when we don't recognize creation, then we will not be a worshiper of the true God who brought everything into existence. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says this, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let this be true. So again, as we recognize the origin of everything, the purpose of recognizing that is not to get the right answer on the test. The purpose of getting that right is then then we're prepared for worship to give glory to Him. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the, ch- in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I'll even, I'll even throw this in. I did in the first service. I, I got a call about a year and a half ago from a friend of mine that I grew up with. And he was a person that actually would give a lot of talks in, in a variety of settings about his faith, and he was a very public Christian. But I asked him the question when he called me. I said, uh, after you know, we kind of got reacquainted, I said, well, where are you going to church now? And he said, I'm not going to church now. Now, sometimes if you catch me in a wrong mood, all right, which he did, um, actually I think it was a God thing, but I, I, you know, he, was a fr- he is a friend of mine, but I said, oh, so I guess you're not walking with the Lord now. What do you mean I'm not walking the Lord? I said, well, you're not going to church? Well, yeah, well, you can be a really committed Christian. I said, you cannot be a committed Christian without going to church. 
being part of God's family. Because where should glory come from? It ought to be glory in the church. We are the body of Christ. We cannot live the Christian life on our own. We are part of a, a family. We do this together. And, and so as you think of the theme of all of God's story, it's to give God glory. For some reason, he hasn't called me back. All right, First, first Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <laughs> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what we were made for, to be an expression of worship, to give God glory. I mean, think about it for a moment. As some people look at what we're doing right now, they say this is the most wasted hour in the week. Why would people gather together? And in most of our settings, there aren't a whole lot of places where people do sing. I mean... You know, you, you might go to a place where somebody else is singing, but you're not singing. Uh, where do you go where you, where you proclaim the excellencies of a, of, a, of a being you can't see? Where do you give your money to promote the message locally and globally where, where uh, you don't get anything back from that in terms other than believing that it's important? If, if this is not true about this, there's a creator God that is rescuing people into relationship with him, this is foolishness what we're doing. In fact, that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians where he said, you know, the, the, the cross, you know, to the Gentiles, it, it's just, it, it, to the Jews, it's stumbling block into the, the Gentiles, it's, it's foolishness. Unless there's a creator God that so, so cared about people knowing the plan that he invaded history in a man, became a man as Jesus, went to the cross, was risen from the dead, to declare victory over that which had been rejected. The sentence of death had been given, and he took our penalty. As we go through the series about the beginnings, it is so crucial that we believe there is a creator God. In the first service, I was saying, you know, I went to a secular university, and every class I took did not believe what I'm going to be telling you. And yet, I would say, during those four years, I grew more spiritually than any other time. Because you've got to come to grips with what you believe, why you believe, and are you willing to stand up for it? This is crucial that we really believe the beginning of this book, as well as the middle, and the end. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you might call us to be people who not only believe um, what we believe, but we really have thought through what we believe and that we're convinced that it's true. And maybe some here this morning that they're still wrestling with this whole Christianity thing because they just see it as wishful thinking. But it's much more than that. Our hope is built on that which is true. And Jesus said... In truth personified, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they know that it's, it is all about Jesus. Jesus and, and why he came and who he is. 
so that we might have life. Might people embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And might we continually desire to live for Him. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we sing unto the Lord.